I want you to go in your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we already had the reading in our worship, uh, but I want to read it again, and uh, I want to use this text as a backdrop uh, for what we're talking about today. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Just want to pause here just for a second and just say, I don't know if I would love being called the other Mary. So it's, we got like Mary Magdalene, whatever that was for her, and then the, the other one. She went to look at the tomb, and there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. We're going to get through this text in a second, but I just got to pause for a second and just help you. Uh, I want you to see what I'm seeing. Because I know, I know Jesus is not in the tomb. But when you read the Bible, you've got to really look at the Bible. If you, if you stare at the Word of God long enough, it'll start staring back into you. This, 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 thing, this thing is alive. And I think it's interesting to note that Jesus, it says in the, in the text that there was an earthquake. And the angel of the Lord came and rolled away the stone. Now the stone was there not to keep Jesus in, but to keep others out. They wanted no suspicious activity of someone trying to steal Jesus' body, so they put a giant stone in front of the tomb. The angel showed up with some of Rome's fiercest soldiers guarding that tomb, and he rolled away the, t to the, the stone, and in a boss move, sat on it. That's just like, I don't know if what the angels in heaven were doing, but I would like to audition for that job. It's like, I want to go down there, the soldiers are there, I just want to flick the stone away, and I just want to sit on it. Just want to just stare at all the people walking by like, I did that. That was me. So anyways, he rolled the stone away and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid, the elite fighting force, the ferocious, bold Roman guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Now, I love the Word of God. I also have some issues with the Word of God uh, because it, 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 well, let me just say this. In my human experience, every time I've been afraid and someone's told me, do not be afraid, it's never worked. But the angels keep on trying it. They say, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. And this is service I don't know of how many, but I'm going to say this. I can't get past that phrase without saying something. My message is not about just as he said, but if it was, I would tell you that no matter what you've been through, what you've walked through, or what you're encountering, it does not matter what the world said, what others said, it will happen just as he said. If I was going to preach from that passage, I would tell you that the word of God will not return void and that God watches over his word to see that it is fulfilled. I would tell you that if God said it, then that settles it. I would tell you that you can have hope today because God said that he would be your provider, that God would be your protector, that God would be your, your that, that God would be your, uh, your, I was trying to think of a really good one, but I, you know, you know what I, I was thinking about? I was thinking God will be your, and this is the power of the resurrection, your friend. Did you know that the power of the resurrection, Jesus getting up, living, is not just so he is magnificent, but it's also so he's relatable. 
Well, we're not preaching about just as he said, but it's in there. It says, come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now, I have told you, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Verse 8, it says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And for three weeks, I've been looking at that verse and saying, how can you be afraid and filled with joy? Maybe I've been doing fear wrong, but every time I've been afraid, the coexisting emotion that I mention is not usually joy. How do you be scared and happy? They, they were, they were afraid, yet filled with joy. It, it says that the soldiers were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. But the women were so afraid and filled with joy and ran off to tell the others. The emptiness of the tomb was a death sentence for the soldiers, but it meant life for the women. It meant totally different things because the soldiers were there to guard what was dead. The women came to find what was living. And so the women ran, and they were afraid yet filled with joy. I was thinking about uh, when my firstborn son, Jude, was born. I've told you guys this story before, but he was breached, and so we went in and had to have a C-section, and, um, and so we were in the hospital, and they separated me and Jamie, and so they put me back in this little waiting room, and they forgot to turn the light off, so it was a dark little room, and they gave me a pair of like 3XL scrubs. And I was just there with my thoughts of, I'm about to be a dad. And uh, I don't know if we have any other dads in the room, but then they're like, first time dad, it's just, there's some nerves there. You know, just like, what's going to happen now? And um, is this human going to turn out all right? Can I take care of this human? All of the things. I'm there for an hour and a half, so I was a little anxious, a little, little nervous, a little afraid. And so I just tailor-made my scrubs into a very beautiful-looking set of scrubs. I brought them up a little bit, tightened them up a little bit, rolled the sleeves up a little bit. When they finally came and got me, I walked out, and the doctor, she's like, Wow. I've never seen a set of scrubs look like that. I'm like, good, right? She's like, yes, yes, good. I'm like, that's right. I'm ready to go. And, and, and so we went in. We had Jude, and it was good. And he's a great kid. We love him. And that's our firstborn son. Then we had got pregnant with Genesis, our second son. And so, so we went into the hospital. We had to have a C-section again, so we're in there. And this time I knew the rope, so I went into the waiting room. They forgot to turn the light on. I don't know if that's a thing they do for dads, but they forgot to turn the light on again. And uh, so I'm in there. And I was afraid to have two kids, but I was also filled with joy because I'd, I'd been there before. So now I knew there was going to be a little bit of a waiting process, but I knew at the end of the waiting process we're going to have another little baby, and we're going to be good, and everything's going to be happy, and everything's going to be healthy, and we're going to be good. So, so I was afraid, yet filled with joy. This isn't a part of my message, not even really a part of Easter, but did you know it is kind of shocking how fast they give those babies to you? <laughs> you know that you have a baby, and then, like, they give it to you, and they put you in your car, and they're like, bye, and we're driving five miles an hour going, what do we do with this? Like, do they send a nurse home with you? Who's supposed to change him? And uh, this is an honest poll. You don't have to raise your hand, but how, how many of you took more pictures of your first child than your second? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't, I'm not going to look. I'm not even going to look. Um, I remember both births. 
because they're both here. But I remember the first one more. I don't know why. Anyways, I, w- I was afraid yet filled with joy. Do you know what faith does? Faith gives you the ability to walk afraid yet be filled with joy at what could happen. I, I call it the tension of possibility. It's the tension of possibility. It's, it's not here yet, but I can believe because I trust God and I have history with God and God said it. And in the Bible it says it will happen just as he said. So although it might be a little uncertain right now and I'm a little bit afraid, I'm also filled with joy. It's the tension of possibility. It's God can do Anything? Did you, did you know that? that? That God can do anything. He's the God of the impossible. Did you know he's still the God of the impossible? Sometimes you go to churches these days and we think it's like the God of the barely. No, we're still worshiping the God of the impossible. Don't worry about people worshiping radically. We're still worshiping the God of the impossible. We're still worshiping the Savior that was buried, killed, died for our sins, shed his blood, but on the third day got up out of the grave. We're still serving that undefeated champion of the world. We're still serving that king. I don't know how people can be so radical when they worship. I don't know how you cannot be. Maybe you're still serving some God from way back. And don't understand that because Jesus got up out of the grave, that he is the God that is alive right now. He's alive right now. We should have more faith in what will be than fear of what could be. You know, many of us were paralyzed by fear of the what-ifs of life, what could happen, what might happen. And, and I don't know if you know this, but God says that he works everything out to the good of those who love him. He, he, he works it. It doesn't mean that everything will be good. It means that he will work everything out for his good. He, he, he is one that, that does not keep us from fire, but he says, I'll be with you in the fire. He doesn't keep us from water, but he says, I'll be with you in the water. This, this is the God that we're talking about, and we should have more faith in what he said would happen than what might happen. You know, when I'm, when I'm thinking about the disciples, I'm, I'm, I wish they would have had more faith. And I'm not saying I'm better than the disciples, but sometimes when I look at their journey, I'm like, what are y'all doing? Jesus went and called them out of their occupation, out of their profession, said, come follow me. They leave their boats, they leave their nets, they come and follow Jesus for three and a half years. They eat with him. They, they, they sit at tables as he reclines and talks about the kingdom. They go to a funeral with him as he raises the dead boy and spoils the funeral. They walk into a house with a dead girl. They raise her from the dead. They see him heal blind eyes. They see him healed, heal crippled legs. They see him forgive sins. They see him exhausted and withdraw to mountainsides and private places to pray and have conversation with his father. They see him weep. In, in, in brokenness over the city of Jerusalem. They were with him for three and a half years. And then can you imagine the disappointment when Jesus is arrested and he's crucified? And then the Bible says this, that the disciples scattered. And this is where I'm kind of like, guys, I mean, he's done a lot for you, you know? When the 5,000 were there a little bit hungry, he, he gave you food, multiplied it. He made you look good. 
you got to hand it out of the baskets, you know. But he, he's the one that did that. He's the one that interrupted funerals. So now he's arrested, and y'all run? That's where I'm kind of like, I think I would be like, Jesus, you're my boy. I'm with you, man. We're both going down together. I think, I think I would be like that. I want, I want to assume that I would. And then I, I, it even got worse because it wasn't as if they didn't know what was going to happen. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says this. It says, Jesus, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Now, if this is me and I'm hearing this, I'm going to be watching the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Because Jesus just told me, like, these guys are bad dudes. He says, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Now, Peter was sleeping during this message, apparently, because in Mark chapter 9, Jesus repeats it. And he says in verse 31, he says, he then began to teach them, or he, because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. If we have any teachers in the room, you can kind of understand when your students are not getting the lesson. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I get that feeling. It's like, this isn't landing. So Jesus says, I'm going to spell it out really clear. The next chapter, Mark chapter 10, verse 32, it says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem. With Jesus leading the way, the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside, tutoring, private gathering. And he told them what was going to happen to him. He said, we, all of us, are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Eyes on. They will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Now, this is my struggle. If I'm the disciples, we walk into town, and the teachers of the law come against him, I'm thinking, ooh, this is what Jesus taught us. And then he gets arrested. I'm like, oh, that was that one lesson in Mark 9. He said, and then they flog him. And we're like three for three. It's like, whoa, Jesus, you're on fire. This is happening. They mock him. They spit on him. They're like, oh, whoa, this is it. This is the thing he talked about. This was that lesson. Peter, this is the one you, you slept on. This is the one. And they killed him. So now we all know what comes next. He rises. But they run. Chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter ten, three lessons we know about. He gives them the entire progression, and he gives them the ending of the story. He says how the movie is going to end, but yet in the, in, in the event of the death, they scatter. They, they, they run. They, 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 they leave him. And it was prophesied what was happened. It would prophesy that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he did. It was prophesied that Jesus would be betrayed, and he was. It was prophesied that Jesus would be silent before his accusers, and he was. It was prophesied that Jesus' hands and feet would be pierced, and they were. It was prophesied that Jesus' bones would not be broken, which is very interesting because in the death of crucifixion, one of the ways the Roman soldiers would speed up the death process is they would come by after a certain amount of time, and they would break the legs of the one being crucified. And when they broke the legs, it, 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 it kept them from using their legs to prop themselves up to breathe. So they would die by asphyxiation. But when they came to Jesus, 
The Bible says he had given up his spirit. They said he's already dead. So instead, they fulfilled a different prophecy, and they took a spear, and they pierced his side, which was also prophesied. And then it was prophesied that he would rise from the dead. So let me ask you this. When Jesus does all of that, why did the disciples not believe that the end of the movie was going to come to pass? It is hard to believe for life when you're staring at a tomb. No matter how many promises, no matter how much encouragement, no matter how much good news that someone tries to give you, when you're staring at dead places in your life, it is really hard to believe that they could live. You know, the resurrection is interesting because the resurrection as we know it is read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read the accounts of eyewitnesses that were written. But did you know that when the, when the spread of Christianity was taking over the known world, it wasn't because everybody was reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't until 350 years later that it was actually designated as the New Testament, as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where people could read about the resurrection. So that means for all of those years, for all of those decades, for all of those generations, it was passed on from eyewitnesses by word of mouth. In fact, Peter spent the next 30 years of his life before he was killed telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. That he actually saw him alive, saw him die, and saw him alive again. This this is different than a story that you read. These are people like great-grandfather Peter told me that he saw Jesus. And this is the stories that were passed on for decades and decades from generation to generation that they actually saw him. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, was martyred because of his belief that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, I'm sure we got some loving brothers in the house, but no brother's dying for a lie. James says, not only is he my brother, he was the son of God. I saw, and we know no brother's calling their brother the son of God, okay? (laughs) He's the son of God. He died, and he rose again, and he was martyred for that belief. Do you know it's the disappointments of life that cause our faith to grow, and and it it is what causes history with God to be developed. The, the, The resurrection is so powerful. This is what the resurrection does for us. The resurrection gives my life meaning and direction and the opportunity to start over no matter my circumstances. The the, the fact that Jesus got up out of the grave means, no matter how far you are from God, that you can come back to him. It, It means that nothing that you've done, nothing that you've gone through, nothing that you've said can keep you from the loving grace of our Savior Jesus. That You are never too far outside his grasp. You are never too far outside his love. That's That's what the resurrection does. It gives us life, but it also means that whatever comes against us in this life, has no power to overcome us. It it means that whatever you struggle with, you can have freedom from. That means that whatever comes against you, you can have victory over. In fact, my Bible says that we are more than conquerors, not just get by Christians, not just barely get through Christians. We are more. I don't don't know if you know what like more than conqueror is. It's like last time I checked, your kid won the soccer game, and you didn't be like, 
we more than won. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, we won. Man, we won. What, what does that mean to more than win? That means like you just knocked the socks off somebody. Like we are more than calm. Je- Jesus is not in this competition with the devil like who's going to get the world. When Jesus shows up, friends, the world will change. When, when we start recognizing that this power is not an ancient power, it's a present power, our own reality will begin to change. That same presence, that same power, that same grace, that same life-giving spirit is here today. It's here today, the resurrection. You know, back, back in the day, um, some of the young people in the room might not understand this, but there used to be not cameras on your phone, you actually had a camera and it had film. <laughs> Anybody remember film? Anybody have like a tub somewhere in the attic with a bunch of undeveloped film? I have a couple, couple rolls and I'm scared to develop it because I don't know what's on I don't even know if you can develop anymore. But it's interesting with film, uh, when, you're, when you're developing film, they take it into a room. They call it the dark room. So the picture you take here, you take to the dark room here, and in the darkness, the photo people do their photo magic. And when they bring it back into the light, there's an image that you can see that was developed in the darkness. You know how God works? God works in the dark rooms of your life. It, it's the dark places, the hidden places, the disappointed places, the tragedies, the crises, the things you thought would went, go this way and went that way, the things that you wish would have gone different. It's in those seasons that God does his best work. We say God doesn't cause everything, but he does use everything. And God will use the valleys. God will use the dark nights, the dark seasons, and the dark rooms to develop something beautiful on the inside of you. Did you know what I found out? Is I found that I've grown more in dark seasons than I have in light seasons. That God's done more work in me when I was losing than when I was winning. That I I came out a better person not when I felt like I was successful. I came out a better person full of faith and history of God when I went through seasons I thought I was losing. Because God develops you in the dark room. He he develops you in disappointment. He he develops you in those secret places. And I'm worried for some people is that they don't understand how God works. So when they go through dark times, they think God's punishing them or they think God's forgotten about them. But God's just using the dark time of your life to allow something beautiful to grow from it. And if you don't understand how God works, you'll kick against the dark place. But you should embrace the dark place and thank God for the dark place because God is going to prove his faith faithfulness in the place where you hurt the most. I was thinking about this. What if Jesus wasn't buried? I know he was. Hold on. What if, what if he was planted? Or what if his tomb wasn't actually a tomb? What if it was a womb? You know the difference between a tomb and a womb? A tomb is a memorial to what once was. A womb is a safe place where something that is, is growing. 
And I'm just wondering when they put Jesus in the tomb, it did not stand as a memorial of what was. It actually grew breakthrough for me and for you. That what came out of that tomb after three days was resurrection life, was resurrection power. So I like to say Jesus wasn't in a tomb. He was in a womb. That God was bringing something from that place that would save your life and my life. Have the power to set anyone, anyone free. You know, when, when something's planted, you expect something to grow from it. You know, to, to, for a seed to grow, it has to go into the ground. It has to be covered. It actually has to die for it to sprout and grow. You, you may be kicking against your planting season because it, planting season and buried season feels exactly the same. Planting season and buried season look exactly the same. Planting season and buried season are vastly different because one is meant to contain you and one is meant to grow you. Jesus was buried in a tomb. I wonder, I wonder if it was a womb. Buried or planted? Canceled? Or covered, lost or hidden, tomb or womb. Your perspective in disappointment will decide if you have a tomb or if you have a womb. You, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna turn a tomb into a womb, you got to do a couple things. One of the things you have to do is you have to feed it. You, you, you actually have to feed. If you're gonna plant something, you want something to grow. You're gonna have to water it. You're gonna have to nourish it. You're gonna have to feed it. And for many of us, we never feed our faith, and we wonder why nothing ever grows from it. No, friends, you are going to have to feed your faith. You are going to have to find a rhythm of spirituality and structure that helps you feed your faith. You are going to have to get around the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You are going to have to get in atmospheres and places where you hear positivity and faith and the Word of God. Because if you just listen to the news and you listen to the world around you, it is no wonder that your womb is turned into a tomb. Because if it's going to be a womb, you have to feed it, and you have to feed it. You have to feed it by feeding your faith. Not only do you have to feed it, you have to protect it. When, when, when Jamie first got pregnant, everything about our life changed. It didn't change because we just decided to change. It changed because she was carrying something. So, so now, now everything changed. What she ate changed. Where we went changed. The atmospheres we're in changed. Why? Because she's carrying something. You know, you would act differently. If you really believed you were carrying something. That, that, that if you really believed that that past season didn't cripple you and cause you to never love again, but you understood that that tomb season was actually a womb season, so you're going to feed faith into it, and you're going to protect it from, uh, from negative voices and negative influences to make sure it's in an atmosphere where it can grow. I'm going to feed it, I'm going to protect it, and then lastly, I like this one, I'm going to check it. There might be some miracles that you believe in God for that are already showing up. But because you don't have faith, they're showing up. So you never look. You never check. My, my brother, Ryan, he's the, our media director at the church. He does all this, all this stuff, makes it possible, sends it to all the campuses and all over the world. Him and his wife, Kim, they 
battled infertility for years and uh, tried everything, went to every doctor, trying to figure things out, specialists, and they all told them the same thing, you're not able to have kids, and so they said there might be a chance with IVF, and so they went through all the process and spent all kinds of money and tried, to, tried all these things, and finally through a miracle, they were able to get pregnant through IVF, and they had what we call Miracle Mason, their firstborn son, Miracle Mason, he's a miracle, it's God's gift to them, and um, there's a lot involved with the process, but they wanted to have more and weren't able to. Um, and they wanted to have more kids, and, and, and they, they had fasted and prayed. I'm talking like my brother. I'm not, I mean, he's, he's pretty dedicated, but, I mean, I'm talking dedicated prayer and fasting. Like when we do a church-wide fast, we do our 21-day fast for 14. This dude's like doing water because he believed God gave him a promise to have family. And they've been praying and, and believing. And during this fast this last year, he, he heard from the Lord, it's time to try again. And he's kind of like, man, we never really stopped trying. We need something, you know. So he thought well, maybe it just means we need, to, we need to try IVF again. And so he started getting ready. We talked about it, like how, how we could save some money and how we could do some things and, 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 and make it possible. And, and uh, Kim started feeling a little, a little off. And uh, so they're like, oh, it might be the flu, or, you know, it might be, man, I don't know why she's nauseous. I don't know why she's tired. Man, just, I don't know. What could that be? <laughs> Didn't even enter their minds. We should take a pregnancy test because everybody said it's impossible. So finally, after seven weeks of symptoms, they said, we should probably check it. And they took a test, and they're pregnant. It's a miracle. Sometimes because of our belief that God won't, we never check if he is. God was... God was growing something in their most painful seasons where they could have thought that God forgot about them. Because I'm telling you this story, but a year ago I wouldn't be able to tell you this. I would just tell you how they've been fasting and praying for seven years. How they were heartbroken. How whenever they heard announcement of someone else having a baby, they were happy but at the same time grieved. We, we get to tell the the celebration story, but the dark room was tough. And they decided and committed that they were going to believe that what God said would be done. And it was. It's interesting how God works because God doesn't always give us what we want. I just want to help everybody out. Because if you hear this message, you'd be like, I just gotta, I just gotta keep checking for the billion dollar check. You know, like a pastor said, you're gonna be mad at me, you're gonna be mad at God. God doesn't give you what you want, He gives you what you need. So He'll even allow dark rooms to bring something out of you. You know, I'm a compilation of the battles I fought. I'm the dad I am, the husband I am, the pastor I am, not because of education or seminary, or, but because of battles I fought. 
And unfortunately, I got a long ways to go, so I probably got, still got some battles to fight. But God uses those dark rooms to develop something. I, I'll, I'll tell you this as we close. You, you remember the story of Jonah? Some of y'all went to Sunday school. Jonah, if you went to Sunday school, you're hearing about Jonah. That's like a class favorite. <laughs> Jonah, God speaks to him and he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah got up, went, got up on a ship, and went as far from Nineveh as he could. Anybody relating with Jonah? <laughs> He's just like, man, God said, you said go that way, I'm going this way. I am not going to Nineveh. And, and, and if you know the story, a huge storm came up, and they, they are all scared they're going to die, and they're on the, they're on the ship, and, and Jonah's like, it's me. God told me to go to Nineveh. I didn't go. Just throw me overboard. Throw me to my, throw me to my tomb. Take my life. So they tossed him over. If you know this, the Bible story, a great fish swallowed Jonah. Or I like to say this, a great tomb. Because you, you just, you know, in my experience, you're not swallowed by a great fish and expecting to survive. Okay, just, just, just me, but he's in the fish for three days. I would imagine that as Jonah is in the fish, I don't know where exactly in the fish he was, but he's not expecting to come out. And if he is, it's not going to be pleasant. Okay, that's, that's not Easter material. That is, that's, yeah. It's been a lot of services, guys. You're getting just a little unfiltered version. I would imagine he's expecting to die. I should have obeyed God. I didn't. This is what I deserve. This is my lot in life. Now I'm going to die. And God was working. Because it wasn't really a great fish and it wasn't even a tomb. It was a womb. You know how I know it? Because when the fish let him out, that's the politically correct way to say it. Because I think he just like spit him up on the, the Bible says. But anyway, he let him out and Jonah walked out on the seashore. He goes straight to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel, and the whole city gets saved. Okay, so, so what happened? What happened between go to Nineveh, right, swallowed by the fish, three days in the womb, spits him out, straight to Nineveh. So God did, this, this, he did his best work on Jonah's heart. In the midst of the dark room of a great fish. Oh man, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful what you kick against, because God could be using the terrible season that you find yourself in to develop something on the inside of you. And you're gonna come out of the dark room, and cities are gonna be changed. Your family is gonna be changed. Your legacy is gonna be changed because you said, God, do whatever you wanna do in here. I won't die here. This is not my tomb place. This is my womb place. This is the dark room where you can form me, where you can grow me where you can disciple me Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 it says and let us not grow weary while doing good for in ooh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that in my, the last service I barely got that one out do see oh 
oh, you might be due. Yeah, you might be due. Some of you are like, well, I've been in the dark room. Well, good news, friend. You can't stay in the dark room. It's not a tomb, it's a womb. If it's a womb, I don't know if you know this about anatomy, but the baby can't stay in there forever. Right, Kate? Can't stay. It can't stay in there forever. That baby eventually has got to come out. If it doesn't come out naturally, doctors will say, we're going to help you because it's not healthy for it to stay. You know, for some of you, you just need to hear this. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest. You want one more? I got one more for you, and I'll let you go. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, it says, after two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. As surely as the sun rises, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Whether it's a tomb or whether it's a womb, is determined by your perspective of what it is. So let me close with this. How do you run scared but be full of joy? Faith is what allows you to run after what God has for you, to still be scared sometimes, but to be filled with joy that God will do what he said he's going to do as surely as the sun rises i'm coming out of this dark season i'm coming out of this dark room i'm coming out of this dark chapter i'm going to be what you call me to be god i'm going to do what you call me to do i've been through some stuff i've been through some pain i've been through some despair but i'm not staying here god you grew something in me you developed something in me you set me free you changed my heart i'm coming out better than i was I want to ask you if you would just stand up with me all across this place. And we're, we're going to just close by singing about the goodness of God. Because I'm going to tell you, it's the goodness of God that leads you through dark rooms. I know some of you are mad at God for the dark rooms you've been through. But if you really trust God, then you'll thank him for the dark rooms as well as the light rooms. You'll thank him for the good seasons as well as the bad seasons. Because you know that in all and through all, God has a plan. And he will bring you out. <laughs>